0: listening to the Michael Anthony Bible teaching podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com.
1: Here we are in the word of God, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. In the meantime, see what's happened is Jesus has just had a power encounter with the Pharisees and the lawyers. You ever had a power encounter with a lawyer? Might be in your future. The Pharisees and the lawyers, the scribes, the ones who write the law, the ones who teach the law, the Pharisees, the ones who write about the law, the commentaries, so to speak, the scribes. Jesus has just had a power encounter. It's powerful because Jesus puts them in their place. Nobody can stand up to Jesus, but it's in this meantime, on the heels of that interaction, this is taking place. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden, that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops." I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear, fear him, who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the son of man, Jesus' favorite phrase in referring to himself, the son of man, anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But The one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, in our next time together, we're going to spend more time talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Our next time together, we'll talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and why is that the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin. There is a sin that a person could commit that would be eternally unforgivable, unforgiven, and it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So as they say down south and looking at Birmingham, Alabama, you all come back now, you hear? We'll talk about that next time together. But for this time together, we want to talk about something that really baked Jesus' biscuits. It really got underneath his skin. Nothing got underneath Jesus' skin more than the sin of hypocrisy. Nothing. It really baked his biscuits. Look with me. In verse 1, in the meantime, when so many thousands, how many thousands? Probably tens of thousands of people have gathered around Jesus. So many they begin to trample on each other to get to hear something that Jesus is saying. Oh, wouldn't you like to have been there? Not to get trampled, of course. But you would have been one of those people who desired to hear the teachings of Jesus, perhaps see him perform some kind of miraculous sign and wonder because there was nobody like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. All the Pharisees, 6,000 of them lined up together, would not compare to Jesus. The Son of Man was an attractant to all men. Tens of thousands of people clamoring for Jesus, hanging on his every word. That type of a crowd, they're they're stumbling over each other, they're falling on each other. It's the original mosh pit. So many thousands of people, tens of thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. He, Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, we see this back and forth motion between the disciples and the Pharisees. The real deal and the phony baloney. We don't like phony baloney in York, do we? We have all these butcher shops. Every place you turn, there is a butcher shop that claims to have the best cuts of meat anywhere within miles. Am I right or am I right? We do not like phony baloney in York, Pennsylvania. And those of you listening by podcast, you need to come and visit because it's true. We like the real deal. Jesus loves the real deal. We're either a disciple or we're a phony baloney. And we see Jesus continually teaching the disciples and comparing and contrasting the real authentic spirituality and comparing and contrasting that to the phony baloney. And here again, it's the Pharisees versus the disciples. It's Jesus, the teacher of teachers, the king of kings, the Lord of lords versus the posers and the play actors, those who pretend to be the real deal, those in a position of leadership, in a position of influence who are blowing it. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is somebody who truly, really loves God deeply in a deepening pursuit of your life. A disciple is somebody who truly, really loves God, really Truly loves people. And you know what a Pharisee is? A Pharisee is somebody who helps people miss what life is all about. Jesus first says to the disciples, amidst all of these, these thousands of people clamoring for his attention, clamoring to get in within earshot of Jesus, to hang on his words, and Jesus says to the disciples, Beware, watch out, be careful be on guard against the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In Exodus chapter 13, the original Passover, they're to eat unleavened bread for a whole week long. They're to clear out the yeast from all of their house, to go scouring throughout their entire house to make sure there was no yeast, even in the, the darkest recesses, the corners of the house, to sweep the whole house clean, to make sure there was no yeast whatsoever. Today, we see yeast or leaven as a beneficial thing. If you're a baker, if you like to bake, you don't like to, if you're an American, eat unleavened bread. You like your bread to rise. And therefore, yeast is necessary. All it takes is a little bit of yeast. Here I have a little bit of Fleischman's Rapid Rise, highly active yeast in my hand. You want this if you're baking bread. You want your bread to rise so that when it's baked in the oven and it comes out, it's deliciously hot, it's steaming, it's fresh. You take your knife and you slice that fresh loaf of bread and you put the real butter. We were down at the beach this week. Can I be honest with you for a moment? We were at Myrtle Beach going to a seafood restaurant and I'm ready to eat some crab legs. Have you ever eaten crab legs? You know the kind where they give you the, the nutcracker to crack open the Alaskan crab legs and if you crack them just right in a couple places, I learned this after not too long. It was a buffet so I had a lot of practice time. <laughs> You take the nutcracker and you crack it along the leg of that piece of Alaskan king crab and then you pop it open and you slide one end of the shell off and the other end and you have about a three or four inch long piece of delicious, freshly steamed crab meat. Does anybody like crab meat? So I took, in the beginning this fresh piece of crab meat and dipped it into the garlic butter that was melted only to find out it wasn't real butter. What is with that? How can you serve margarine when I'm having Alaskan king crab? Seriously? Can I have my money back? can I go to a real restaurant? Is this just a Fugazi restaurant? We would say that. It's Fugazi. It's a fake diamond. Who knows what a Fugazi is? You're not from Brooklyn. That's why you don't know what it is. Fugazi, fake. It's not the real deal. You're going to serve me Alaskan king crab with margarine? That's anticlimactic. That's blasphemous. What are you doing? You got to have the real deal. And here Jesus is talking to the disciples, pouring himself into these guys for what would end up being a three-year period of time. In the midst of some phony balonies, there were 6,000 of them in Jesus' day. And the irony of ironies is that the ones who were in the majority, the 6,000 Pharisees, could have changed the entire nation and led them in the right direction. See, let's talk for a moment about what is a Pharisee, what is hypocrisy, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? Let's talk about the what. We'll get to the who and the how, how to overcome it. See, if you know anything about Greek culture during this time, you might be familiar with what you probably heard, that A hypocrite or hypocrisy is a play actor. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be somebody else, pretends to be something that they really are not. We have to understand what is it that Jesus is talking about. It's really not far enough to conclude that hypocrisy is play acting, that a hypocrite is a play actor portraying themselves to be something, somebody that they really are not. That is what a hypocrite is. That is what hypocrisy is. But that's not far enough. And that's not really what Jesus was hitting at. And if you really study the scriptures and you really look at what the Pharisees were guilty of and what the sin of the Pharisees was, which Jesus says is hypocrisy, you understand that it's much more subtle than that. It's much more dangerous than that. It's much more permeating than that because in the same way that yeast permeates, you put a little bit of it into a batch of Flour mixed with water has to be the right temperature, 120 degrees, and before you know it, the whole bread rises. The yeast is outnumbered by the quantity of flour, but that's no obstacle for the yeast. Eventually, it will permeate everything, overtake it, and cause a reaction. You know, a Pharisee is somebody. A hypocrite is somebody, as Jesus helps us understand a Pharisee is a misguided, inept person in a leadership position who can do nothing more and nothing less than replicate. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Well, let's look at what I mean when I say that. A Pharisee is a misguided, inept person in a leadership position who can do nothing more and nothing less than replicate. Hypocrite is somebody who was misguided in understanding the purpose and the intention of God. Listen, the Pharisees were interested in getting people to behave in certain ways, to perform in certain ways, to focus on outward external appearance, observance of things. Jesus was constantly going tooth and nail, toe to toe with the Pharisees and the scribes because the Pharisees and the scribes were focused on outward religious external behavior and Jesus continually trying to get them to understand that you're focused on the wrong thing, you're focused on what should be the overflow. Because you know what piety is? Piety is purity without intimacy. That's what piety is. When you have a focus on looking good on the outside and you don't really understand why looking good on the outside is important, in fact, it's not important at all if there's not intimacy on the inside, when you have piety, all you have is purity without intimacy and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, were misguided. They did not understand that the number one objective of God is intimacy with you and with me. If you focus on purity without understanding that purity is not the real objective, but intimacy is the real objective, you're well on your way to becoming a Pharisee, well on your way to being a hypocrite, well on your way to embracing hypocrisy. See, it's incredibly dangerous. The Pharisees were hypocrites because they were misguided. They did not understand that the number one objective of God, the interest of God, the desire of God is for intimacy with his creation. And you and me, as those who have been created, must understand that purity's purpose is intimacy with God so the Pharisees were hypocrites because they were misguided. They were also inept. What do I mean by inept? They were ill-qualified. They were uneducated. They were misdirected. They were inept in understanding that the purpose of all of Scripture, all of Scripture is to lead people to the point of intimacy with God. Not just to get people to perform and behave in certain ways. The purpose of the scriptures is to lead people into a saving and growing intimate relationship with the God of creation. And if you miss that, if you find yourself going through the motions of reading the Bible and going to church and performing ministry, you are on your way toward becoming a hypocrite, being a hypocrite, embracing hypocrisy. It's not God's intention. See, the Pharisees were misguided. They did not understand the purpose of God in purity, which is intimacy. The Pharisees were inept because they did not understand that the purpose of scripture was to lead people into an abiding, close relationship with God. That's the purpose of scripture. It doesn't matter that we memorize scripture, that we know scripture, if we miss the God of the scriptures in the process. God doesn't tell us to not do things and to do certain things just because he's interested in giving us a hula hoop. We have enough hula hoops that we have to jump through in life. The scriptures teach us things about God because God has explained to us through his word, the Bible. And might I add that there is no book like the Bible. No other book like the Bible. 66 books written by multiple authors over centuries of time, having a unified theme. I triple dog dare you. I skipped all of them. Went right to the triple dare. I triple dog dare you to find another book that claims to be the word of God that has that type of a track record. No book like the Bible. See, a hypocrite is somebody who's misguided in their understanding about God, inept in their understanding about the Scriptures, and therefore, because they are misguided in their understanding about God, and inept in their understanding of the purpose of the Scriptures, they cannot help but do anything more or anything less than replicate themselves. And it's a vicious cycle. And what do they do? They replicate themselves. They make other religious people. And doesn't your heart break when you are reading this passage of Scripture? At least it should. That here is the teacher of teachers giving a lesson to the most lost souls in all of the nation of Israel, the teachers, the Pharisees. The ones who had the Old Testament, the ones who were supposed to be teaching the Old Testament, supposed to be bringing people into a loving, intimate relationship with God And here he was right before them, the great I am. The word became flesh right in their presence. And they're arguing with him. If we look at chapter 11, it ends with Jesus walking away and them trying to catch Jesus to trip him up, trying to trip up Jesus. What is wrong with these guys? I'll tell you what's wrong with them. The same thing that could happen to you and to me if we forget that the purpose of God is an abiding intimacy with him, which is made possible courtesy of the word of God. You will not worship a God. You will not know a God. You will not serve a God. You will not love a God who you do not understand. And the fundamental primary way that we understand God is through the word of God, the Bible. Pharisees could do nothing more than simply replicate themselves and make other religious people who were focused on outward external behavior and missing all along the purpose of the law, which is to help us become conscious of sin, help us realize our need for salvation apart from religious outward external observance. And the purpose of all of that is to help us understand that God wants closeness with his people. God wants intimacy with his people. When Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he didn't cry for any other reason than he wanted closeness with his people. God created you for a purpose. He created me for a purpose. He created us for intimacy, a relationship with him. And what do we do? We substitute religiosity. We substitute ritual for relationship and how it breaks the heart of God All these Pharisees could do was replicate themselves, teach other people how to miss God all along the way of their ironic pursuit of what? Religious observance. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is somebody in a leadership position who misses the opportunity to bring people into a deepening relationship with God. That's what a spiritual hypocrite is. There really was no need for this one man, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, Jesus, to come and do the teaching that 6,000 Pharisees should have been doing. And yet it was necessary because they had become completely hypocritical. Who is a candidate for becoming a hypocrite? You know, it's interesting that Jesus begins by teaching the disciples. And he says, watch it. You guys the ones who are closest to me, the 12 of you, already knowing that one of them was going to be a backstabber, Judas. Listen, you guys are vulnerable to becoming like those guys. See, the more we know about God, the more dangerous it becomes that we become passionate about teaching other people to know about a God that we don't really know. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Teachers, high candidates for becoming hypocrites because you get so much into the mode of wanting other people to learn what you know that you can begin to function on autopilot and have other people follow you in a pursuit that you have given up a long time ago. You begin pursuing the lesson plan. You begin to be able to regurgitate things that you know, things that you can do on autopilot. Teachers, very dangerous position That's why Jesus was addressing the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of Israel, the spiritual leaders of Israel and calling them hypocrites. Imagine getting cooked in that squat, rising, stooping to that level of failure. Pastors, elders, deacons, church leaders, the greatest candidates for hypocrisy Because if we fail to understand that the purpose of God, the intention of God, watch this, is intimacy with God. And if we begin to backtrack or begin to lose sight of the purpose of Scripture, which is to help people understand how to be intimate with God, watch this, then what are we going to do? We're going to replicate ourselves. No student is greater than his teacher. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus called the Pharisees blind guides leading the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both of them will fall into a hole. That's what happens. Church leaders are in the the most vulnerable position of spiritual hypocrisy. Because we are supposed to know God, we're supposed to know what it means to walk intimately with God, we're supposed to know what the purpose of Scripture is to help people walk intimately with God, and if we lose sight of those two things, we become misguided, inept people in leadership positions, merely replicating ourselves. And this is why many of you are familiar with this document that we've been circulating here at the church called The Culture of Grace. Really what it is, it's a practical theology about how we live life together based on the scriptures. It's important for us to understand what it is that the scriptures prioritize. If you read that document, it's on our website. It will help you really examine where you are in your walk with the Lord, What does the Bible teach about the blessing of God and how to walk with him? That's why that document is important. Not because the document is important, but because when you read that document, it will get you into the scriptures, which are important, which will help you, help me, help all of us continually remember the main thing for God is to walk in intimacy with him and to teach others that the purpose of the scriptures is to help others. Each and every one of us, beginning with ourselves, walk intimately with God. You see, if, the, if those who are in the greatest danger of becoming hypocrites are those in church leadership, did it just get hot in here? If, if we in church leadership are in the greatest, most significant crosshairs for hypocrisy, now do we understand why Jesus says, watch it. be careful. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Instead of leading people to the intimacy with God, instead of helping people understand the purpose of Scripture is to be intimate with God and to walk with Him, you too could get people to jump through hoops that God's not interested in. See, it's not just the culture of grace that we're interested in. We're also going through a process as elders and as deacons and as pastoral staff, which I'm not sure it's going to be wonderfully comfortable for all of us because when I read the Scriptures, they stretch me. Have you found that to be the case? When I read the Scriptures, I mean when I really read them, when I get my cup of coffee and I put it aside, I'm done with my coffee, now I want the meat of God's word. When I really get into the word of God, the word of God stretches me and brings me to the point of breaking. If you're not coming to the point of breaking when you're reading the scriptures, you're not really reading the scriptures. You see, we're in a process as elders and deacons and pastoral staff of examining ourselves and having processes in place that help us take seriously what Jesus says, watch out. Having a title and being in a position of leadership gives you an opportunity. It gives me an opportunity, not a guarantee, an opportunity to give God what he's looking for, which is people who know how to walk with him in intimacy. That's the bullseye. And therefore, if we're going to take Jesus' words seriously and have people in church leadership who are not hypocrites, listen, there are many who are unintentioned, but hypocritical nonetheless. There's nothing here about Jesus giving an out and saying, well, but if you don't mean it, it's okay, you're excused. No, there's no excuse. When Jesus teaches, it stretches us, doesn't it? Can you feel stretched already? The greatest of all the commandments, Mark chapter 12. Jesus summarizes Leviticus chapter nineteen eighteen and Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Look with me at Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, Deuteronomy 6, 5. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, Mark 12, 28 through 31. The whole purpose of the law, the whole purpose of you being created in the first place was to love God and to love your neighbor. And might I say, when we ask this question, who was my neighbor? You know who your neighbor is? Your spouse. Your neighbor is your spouse. That's a good starting point. If you started to see your spouse as your neighbor, and that's the way that you primarily love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, your marriage will be absolutely transformed. Not tomorrow, this is free advice you're getting. I'm being good for nothing right now. You're getting marital counseling here from the word of God. If you treat your spouse as your neighbor, and love your neighbor as yourself, your marriage will be radically transformed, become Christ-like, go to the next place where it's supposed to be if you're engaged to be married. And you understand that that's what you're getting into. You're getting into a lifetime commitment of loving somebody as you love yourself, loving God as you love yourself. That's what you're getting into. How about treating your children as your neighbor? What would happen in your relationships with your children if you began to see your children as your neighbor? And what would happen in your relationship with your parents if you began to see your parents as your neighbor? See, this is the whole purpose of the law, the whole purpose of the scriptures, the whole purpose of the Bible, the whole purpose and intention of God is to help you and to help me walk in abiding intimacy with God through his word, giving God what he seeks, giving God what he wants. Otherwise, we become misguided, inept people in leadership positions, leadership is influence, who do nothing more than replicate ourselves and the cycle is perpetuated. You know, Jesus talks here about the now and the not yet. Luke chapter 12, verse 2, he says, nothing's covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Eventually, who you are in secret will be made public. Eventually, it's a matter of time. How you're leading your family will be manifest in how your children are being raised up and what's happening with your children. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible teaches if you look at 1 Timothy 3. If you look at Titus 1, the qualifications for elders and deacons, which by the way are the qualifications for a maturing disciple. Some have titles of elder. Some get to serve as pastors. Others get to serve Jesus and serve the body of Christ as deacons. But really, those who serve in those capacities are those who are mature in following Jesus, in serving Jesus. They may or may not have a title, the objective, the bullseye for God. God's blueprint for spiritual maturity is found in the qualifications for an elder and the deacon that are in the scriptures. You might say, well, that's not for me. I don't want to be an elder. Who wants that? All that kind of attention. Listen, if God is putting in your heart a burden for Jesus, and a love for his people. A love for God and a love for his people. As you draw nearer to God, you're going to want to be more and more selfless. You're going to want to give more of yourself for the only kingdom that can endure forever. And some of you, some of us are going to be qualified as meeting the qualifications in First Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, as being an elder or a deacon because those are overflow realities. Your character with people, your treatment of people, your reputation among the masses, however big the masses might be in your world, is an overflow of what's really happening in the secret place of who you are. See, there's really no such thing as secrecy with God. We think that there's secrecy. There's No such thing as secrets with God. Jesus says whatever is hidden is going to be revealed. Eventually, who you are in secret will come out. It might come out in this lifetime. For many of us, for all of us, it is coming out in this lifetime. What we're reaping is an overflow of what we've sown. But it's also in the not yet. In verse three, chapter 12, therefore whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Probably a reference to one day when we stand before Jesus, everything will be revealed. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. See, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. I like what the NIV says when it says the secret motives of men's hearts. Then, when, when the Lord comes, each one will receive his commendation from God. If you really want to find out the character of a man, the character of a woman, you find out what they do in secret. Because one day what's in secret will be made public. And in God's sight, in God's perspective, there's no such thing as keeping secrets from him. You see, many of us are fearful of the wrong entity. Proverbs 29. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Super easy to be fearful of people, isn't it? The Pharisees were more concerned with their own reputation, more concerned with the reputation that they had among the people. If they only were concerned about the reputation of God, oh, how they would have been moldable. How they would have been pliable in the hands of of God through the teachings of Jesus, but they lost their way. Do you know anybody who's lost their way? You think those Pharisees, from the time they were young boys being trained up to be a Pharisee, you think they were looking forward to the day that they would totally be misguided, inept people in a leadership position? replicating themselves, do you think they looked forward to that day of being hypocrites? Do any of us wake up in the course of this past week, did we wake up in this past week, are we looking forward this week to waking up and saying, I get to be a hypocrite today? And yet I have found in my own life, I'll just speak about me, in my own life hypocrisy is what happens by default. Sloppiness is what I gravitate toward. Spiritual sloppiness, I do. Can anybody identify with that? I don't need somebody to teach me how to be a hypocrite. I'm good all by myself. What I need to do is I need to be careful and attentive to my soul. I need to take what Jesus says with utmost seriousness because he's talking to the disciples and he's telling them, I'm warning you, fellas. I'm telling you guys, my inner circle, you who I'm going to take the world with, I'm telling you to watch out that you don't become like the Pharisees who started with good intentions, teaching Israel, wanting to lead the nation of Israel. What a noble endeavor! How highly respected that would be. You're going to be in the ministry, you're going to serve people and lead people to do what? To be like you. See, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who leads people to the feet of Jesus. That's what you're called to do. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, if you haven't yet done that, but you're about to do it, that's your marching orders to lead people to the feet of Jesus, to grow personally as a man a woman a boy or a girl of intimacy with god that other people can look at you and follow you because disciples replicate for better or worse pharisees replicated for worse you know what i find interesting in this particular passage if you turn with me to second timothy chapter 3 Second Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse one, is an amazing passage of scripture that I spend a lot of time meditating on this, this whole section. And I think you would do well to do the same thing because it ties in with this whole idea of becoming an unintentioned hypocrite. Verse one, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of Difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Sounds just like the world we live in today, doesn't it? Written 2,000 years ago. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. Wait a second. But denying its power avoids such people. Now hold on a minute. Having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power, is the world interested in godliness? Is the world interested in having an appearance of God? No, they're not interested in that at all. That's not even on their radar. The world is not interested in looking godly, looking religious, looking pious. This particular passage of Scripture, I believe, is a warning to those in the house of God, those who know the Scriptures, those who have come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, those who've been brought up in the teachings of the Bible, that we could have an appearance of godliness but deny the power that comes with godliness. Avoid such people. Why? Because it's hypocrisy. The tendency of your life and mine is to gravitate toward hypocrisy. It's easy. It happens automatically. But the purpose and plan of God is to bring you into intimacy, not hypocrisy. The purpose and plan of God is to bring you into a knowledge of the scriptures which combat what would otherwise be an inept approach, an ignorant approach to why the Bible was given to us in the first place. Verse 6, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, probably the magicians who did the counterfeit miracles when Moses was appearing before Pharaoh. So these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. There's nothing hidden that will not be revealed, Jesus says. What's been whispered in the rooms will be proclaimed on the mountaintops. Who you are in secret will one day be made public. In fact, who you are, who I am in secret, God already knows. There's no such thing as a secret before God. A Pharisee, a hypocrite, is a misguided, inept individual in a leadership position who does nothing more and nothing less than replicate. Those of us who know the word of God, those of us who have been brought up in religious household, those of us who have been born again are in the greatest danger of the yeast, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We are in danger. If you know Jesus as your savior, you are to guard, to be careful, to be on your alert, to always be vigilant, always be diligent to make sure that you don't become like the Pharisees and therefore end up being more pitied than any other people on the planet. To be in a position of influence and to squander that influence to lead people to the wrong destination. Lord, help us. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to love Jesus, to know him intimately, and to lead people to that same Jesus who you say you know, whom you say you love, who I say I love, who I say I know, and anything less than that becomes Hypocrisy! This is the purpose of an elder team. This is the purpose of a deacon team. This is the purpose of pastors in leadership. We are to do one thing and to excel in it, to lead people to an ever-increasing intimacy with God through the knowledge of his word. If we do anything other than that, we are hypocrites. We're misguided, inept people in a leadership position teaching others to do what we're doing, which others should not be doing at all. And what is the cure? What in the world is the cure for hypocrisy? What's the cure for being a hypocrite? Number one, perpetual, ongoing repentance, that you and I have a need that is brought to our attention the moment we accept Christ And then continually, that flame is fanned in the flame, It becomes something that we, as we grow in our knowledge of God in the scriptures, as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord through the study of his word, we realize that repentance must be perpetual when Jesus arrives on the scene. The first words out of his mouth are repent and keep repenting and believe and keep believing the gospel. That's what he says. Repent and keep repenting, believe and keep believing. None of us arrive the moment we get saved, we begin. And the cure for hypocrisy, the way to really beware of hypocrisy is perpetual repentance Studying the word of God, understanding that it's not through the study of the word of God that we become like God, it's through the humble study of the word of God, through acknowledging that the Lord has given to us through his word the scriptures for the knowledge of him and intimacy with him, when we realize that and we walk in humility, we walk in repentance. That's the cure for Phariseeism. That's the cure for hypocrisy It's the only one that I know of. Perpetual repentance. A humble study of the the Lord's word and a continual embracing of humility day by day, moment by moment, or else we become misguided, inept people in leadership positions. Only teaching other people to follow us when they should run.
0: You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.